Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, welcome back. I thought I would do another podcast, another podcast on the coronavirus, an update as well as talking about why, from my perspective, you know, this is an outbreak that should be treated uh, far differently than the SARS or the MERS or even the Ebola outbreak uh, back in 2014. Um, Why at this point in the game, I think the trajectory of this coronavirus, so-called 2019 novel coronavirus, the trajectory of it, I believe, makes it more severe potentially than than any of those three outbreaks uh, and and certainly gives it the potential to be one of the major pandemics of of the decade and and of of the 21st century. Now, I want to talk about all of that as I, you know, drive in on my morning commute here. If you guys hear some background noise, you had somebody comment yesterday, do you live in a, uh, are you homeless, he's asking, you know, do you have a building to record in? And yeah, I, I do, I'm not homeless, but you have to understand, I've talked about this in the past, I'm doing an hour and a half plus commute each morning and then back again at the end of the day. So I don't have a ton of time during the day to record uh, this content, and I'm certainly not going to take time away from my wife and my daughters at the at the end of the day. I'm not going to wake up extra early, so you get a bit of background noise. Um, so before I start, you know, again, I'll remind you guys, I'm not a uh, an epidemiologist. I'm not a, a you know at all specialized in infection control or a virologist. I don't work for the CDC, which some of you guys might view as a good thing right now nor do I work for the World Health Organization. I'm not an expert on any of that stuff, right? Let's just get that out in the open, right? And there are a ton of experts out, I think, right now that are really giving poor information. There's also a ton of experts out there that are really giving great information. A great example would be Chris Martinson over at Peak Prosperity. Peak Prosperity is a channel that I have followed for years for its financial content. And, and he always has offered such a well-rounded perspective. Like, this is the financial side of things, but really pushing people to get into some prepping as a whole. Not like crazy prepping, but I think prepping by, you know, by many people's standards, probably a little, little crazy, right? Always well-rounded. And lo and behold, I found out a couple days ago, this guy's like got a PhD in epidemiology from Duke University. I think it's epidemiology. Chris Martinson. And so, you know, he's been providing some updates on this coronavirus. His his channel has blown up. You know, I looked at it yesterday evening. And the span of like three days had gone from like you know, almost, almost 50,000 subscribers uh, well on its way to 100,000. I think it was well over 80,000 subscribers when I checked. So, so check out uh, Peak Prosperity, Chris Martinson. Uh, but there's also a lot of experts out there, unfortunately, that are just giving bad information. Uh, or, or I shouldn't say bad information, just really not helpful, right? I even sat, I did sat in, but I watched part of a Q&A that the World Health Organization put on Twitter yesterday. And it was really just mundane. And I get it. They don't, you know, these big 
bureaucratic organizations, even if they know the data is not perfect, it's what they have to work with. And, and they can't just, you know, at least from their perspective, they, it's just impossible for them to somehow question that data or to move on from it, or at least to it all speculate, right? So they're just working on rock hard uh, data and evidence, which really doesn't give a whole lot of extra information about uh, this this novel coronavirus, how to prevent it, what the future spread looks like, should we doubt these numbers? I mean, it's just really mundane and basic. I mean, at some point, you know, you look at like the Chinese uh, national health organizations. I mean, the equivalent of their CDC. I mean, which is you know helping pr- uh, uh, um, prevent the spread of this, control the spread. You know, everything the CDC would usually do in a major outbreak here in the United States. Um, and and then you look at the numbers that these these individual provinces and cities and whatnot are putting up in terms of, of confirmed cases and deaths and which not and whatnot, which are which are almost certainly wrong by a magnitude of anywhere from you know, only half of the true amount of cases to maybe only a tenth. Some people have suggested that we're maybe, you know, only a 50th, a hundredth of the total amount of cases are actually being reported in China right now. And, you know, we can fault the Chinese government for that, and, and we should. We can fault their health organization or these provinces or the individuals, the, the mayors and the governors that are just not being transparent or not doing a good job of managing this. But hey, guess what? Our own CDC and the World Health Organization is working off of those numbers, right? I mean, so they're, you know, when it's all said and done, I think that there's going to be a, a lot of backlash against China, just like there was with the SARS epidemic, about them just not being transparent, just not being honest. Like They have an inability in China at the government level to just be straight, right? It's just, it's just in their DNA. It's in their Marxist communist authoritarian dna but guess what you know you're going to see the government here in the united states i'm sure when it's all said and done we're talking months or years in the future uh really criticize them and whatnot but our own cdc our own world health organization is working off those numbers right they're they're borderline enabling this but but anyways let's get to the update today now you know china the different provinces, which are updating their case count and their deaths, generally on a daily basis, and yeah, as I said, we should be skeptical of those numbers. They're probably much, much higher, but they're updating them on a daily basis, usually around you know early morning China time, so seven, eight, nine, ten a.m. Beijing time. Different provinces are updating it, and so that translates to you know like seven, eight, nine, ten o'clock in the evening. Here in the United States, Central Time, you know, a little earlier on the West Coast, a little later on the East Coast. So, you know, I'm working on numbers here that are, are what, you know, 12 hours old, roughly, but are still going to be some of the more up-to-date numbers out of China, unless they start reporting more often uh, for the next, you know, 12 hours, roughly. So, based on when I'm recording this, at least, versus when I'm publishing it. So, as of now, you know, the confirmed number of cases worldwide have topped 4,500, which is a huge jump compared to yesterday. And, and of course, the vast majority of these cases are still in China, and the vast majority of those in China are still in the Hubei province, primarily the city of Wuhan, this huge city where this Wuhan coronavirus uh, started. How much of a bummer would it be that, that if it actually is 
you know, combat when it's all said and done. I, I've actually heard some people, I think, push back against that, calling it the Wuhan coronavirus. Because, I mean, who wants to have a virus named after a city that, on from a global perspective, was largely unknown until this all started? I mean, if you go on, on you know, average, you know, French Street or UK or, or India or United States, and you ask, you know, name Chinese, five Chinese cities, they're going to say Beijing, Shanghai, Hong Kong, uh, you know, there's some other big ones, uh, Shenzhen, Guangdong, I, I'm just butchering these names, uh, Macau, you know, Taipei, maybe if, if they want to be edgy about it, uh, probably not Wuhan, right? But, but anyways, I digress. My podcasts are just full of digressions. I know, get used to it. But the vast majority are still in China, still in, in Wuhan as well. But the number, you know, even if we're working on these numbers, which again, I think are a vast underestimate of the true number of cases in China in particular, as well as, you know, those outside of China, uh, we're, we're still seeing exponential growth of this virus, of the number of cases. I mean, yesterday we were in the, you know, low 3000s, 3200 and whatnot, jumping up 1300, roughly 1400 somewhere in that ballpark, 13, 1400 in a day's span, right? That is, you know, a pretty significant increase, you know, at that pace, you know, you're, you're talking the number of cases doubling every couple days, which, which certainly lends itself to a much, you know, higher R naught than I think a lot of us would, would care to, to admit R naught, of course, being the, transmissibility of, of this virus based on control methods and, and, and its own, you know, how easy it is to spread and whatnot. Basically a measure of, on average, how many people would be infected by each infected individual, right? And so the funny thing about this, and it's not at all funny, this is all tragic, but the interesting thing about this is that right now we're, we're seeing some, we have for like probably a week plus now, some measures being put in place to control the spread of the disease as well as the spread of infected individuals. And so what you're seeing is you're seeing masks, a ton of face masks across China and, and elsewhere around the world. Uh, but you're also seeing limitations on travel. Hong Kong today uh, put a, a ban on rail travel into the country, right? They already to some extent had, you know, closed their borders. Uh, of course, Wuhan and, and much of the Hubei province already had a pretty significant quarantine on it, even though the mayor of, of Wuhan admitted something like 5 million, 5 million individuals escaped Wuhan before the quarantine was fully put in place and headed all over China and potentially around the world, right? And so, you know, these, these quarantines, these, these limitations are put in effect, but, you know, if you want to really get in a sense of, of just how much is actually being limited, Go to flight, uh, what is it, Flight Radar 24. Just go on your device, your Apple, your Android device. You could find this on the web as well. And just look up Flight Tracker. And a lot of these will show an overhead view of, of anywhere in the world, including China. And the commercial, you know, the passenger traffic that is in the air right now. And over China, it's, it's probably barely skipped a beat. Obviously, some cities, air traffic has been cut down. Although a lot of countries, including like I think the United States, uh, Japan, India, were actually evacuating a lot of their nationals from Wuhan. I mean, city of 11 million people, you got to imagine there's hundreds probably of, of nationals from each of these major countries. 
they're actually evacuating their individuals by by air. But a lot of these other uh, cities, still a ton of air traffic internationally as well to, you know, wherever, Japan and South Korea, uh, uh, India, United States. I mean, there's still a ton of air traffic, still a ton of chances of this to, to spread. And, and so anyways, going back to what I was saying, the, the, the kind of crazy thing about this is that if we're going to take into account an incubation period, meaning a period from when you're initially exposed to when you actually show symptoms, of anywhere from a couple days, you know, three, four days, maybe five days, all the way up to like 10 days plus before you show symptoms, and a short period before you show symptoms that you could potentially be contagious based on, on some evidence and some case reports. And then put in addition to that, uh, several days of relatively minor symptoms, a cough, runny nose, sneezing and stuff before you get into things like pneumonia, if you do it all, or fever, things like that. Uh, we're talking about, you know, the number of confirmed cases right now ticking up potentially because of exposures that happened late last week. We're only on Tuesday here. We're talking about exposures that happened on Friday, Thursday, right? So any measures being put in place now in terms of of controlling the spread of the infection, not the infected, but the infection, masks and whatnot, you know, that's only starting to show limited effect now in terms of the number of case uh, cases, confirmed cases. Now, obviously, the, the, the efforts to stop the spread of the infected is, is kind of a, an immediate thing, but the number of confirmed cases will continue to grow based on what the control measures were like a week plus ago, right? And a week plus ago, they were pretty non-existent for, I think, a lot of China and a lot of these countries around the world, including when it comes to travel. Plenty of cases of people that flew out of Wuhan, you know, infecting or being shown up infected in places like Canada, the United States, Japan, etc. So this is, uh, you know, the, the numbers we're seeing right now are, are just representative of, of that. But but again, this there's, there's no evidence. You know, I'd love to say that, that the numbers bear out an improvement on the ground for this coronavirus situation. But but I I can't say that. I mean the the numbers, the cases continue to increase at this at this exponential rate. You know, until we see linear growth of cases versus exponential growth, or, you know, a slow decline in in the you know new cases. So one day it's it's you know let's say two thousand cases and the next day 1,800 new cases and then 1,200 new cases until we start to see that and, and actually trustworthy numbers, which I doubt will be coming out of China, the trajectory is, is the same as it was yesterday and, and the day prior. Some of these bans on travel or limitations on travel you know, could make an impact on the spread. It almost certainly will. But will it be enough? And is it too late? Given the long incubation period, given... Uh, just the the amount of travel that happened, including, again, the 5 million out of, out of Wuhan that occurred before a ton of these quarantines and travel bans were put into place.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, um, if you enjoy this stuff, podcast is not over yet, but I'm just saying, if you enjoy this stuff, uh, I've been trying to tweet a little bit more over on Twitter. Twitter is not something I use a ton. I created it probably a year plus ago, and I just haven't used as much as I could. Uh, but you can follow me over there, and I've been trying to tweet at least a couple times a day with my thoughts on this. And, and so, you know, you kind of get a mishmash. You know, sometimes I forget what I post over there to share in my podcast and, and what I talked about my podcast to share on Twitter. But one of the things I posted yesterday was sort of the, the you know, I think what some of the next steps for this coronavirus, uh, some of the next uh, storylines, narratives that you could see appear as this week goes on. And, and uh, among this list, this is just from memory. Again, I'm driving here, guys. Uh, from memory, first of all, that... We're going to see, I think, an increased skepticism, an increased lack of trust of these Chinese numbers. Maybe not by the World Health Organization, maybe not by the CDC and other you know, national organizations, but certainly by a lot of experts. Plenty of experts already are extremely skeptical for reasons that I've mentioned in the past. And, and we'll see, I think, an increasing outcry, pressure being put on Japan, not by or Japan, but on China, not by Trump, maybe, not by prime ministers and presidents and, and whatnot, but certainly by by experts, by influential people. Pressure on China to to come on, like get your crap together. Just tell us the truth about this. You know, I saw an article, I, it was just a headline, talking about how this type of dishonesty, as I said before, is almost just in the DNA of of not Chinese, right? That's kind of racist, but in the political ideology. The ideology of, of this, you know, communism with Chinese characteristics or or Chinese capitalism with communist characteristics, whatever you want to call it. You know, it was the case during the SARS epidemic, and it's the case this time around. I mean, it's just a lack of transparency. It's the same lack of transparency, the same sliminess, the same authoritarianism that led to this, this you know, ongoing imprisonment of, of hundreds of thousands plus of, of these, you know, minority uh, Uyghur Muslims in, in Western China, right? And that's just one of many things that, that I just, you know, finding problems with the Chinese regime. And so I'm hoping for more pressure on them, but, but I think we will see an increased skepticism. And more and more, I think people are going to be treating, you know, the actual case number, the actual number of infected in China will be more and more based on models, based on uh, you know, scientific models based on um, what the data is, is telling us they probably are versus what China is telling us they are. Uh, more focus on the situation on the ground. You know, how many hospital beds are actually being utilized? How disrupted is society? How many people does it look like it's infected? If we can extrapolate, look like it's infected in places like Beijing, Shanghai, Hong Kong, etc. Rather than just going off this really faulty data from the Chinese government, even if they're trying to be as honest as possible, we're talking about a lot of individuals with a lot of room to, to be 
dishonest, plus just probably, you know, even if they were being as honest and transparent as possible, doing a poor job of actually cataloging or testing for all these different cases, right? Same thing goes for the deaths, the death count, right? And then finally, a lot of focus on cases outside of China. And, and that's where we kind of get into this topic of, gosh, I almost forgot, you know, this is a topic <laughs> of why this is different than SARS, Ebola, and MERS. A lot of focus on cases outside of China. We've already seen this already. Focus, you know, every country, when they get cases in, in their country, you see it you know, on Twitter, you can see it, you can see it on social media in the country, a lot of concern, a lot of focus on the confirmed cases. You know, we have five or six confirmed here in the United States at the time of recording. Uh, probably more today. We'll see. Uh, you, you have a fair number of, of confirmed cases in, in Japan, including another case of a human-to-human transmission, I believe, outside of China, which is big deal. I think the same happened in Thailand or, or Vietnam. Cambodia has confirmed cases. Sri Lanka, Germany. Uh, I think France does. Uh, you know, plenty of other, you know, South Korea, uh, the Philippines, I think might, uh, Taiwan has some, Mongolia, I believe they closed their land borders recently with China as did North Korea, by the way, uh, North Korea is really banked on this going global and maybe they'll end up a, uh, a global superpower when it's all said and done. But, um, so there's this hyper focus on these cases, but I think what's important to remember is that it's, you know, just like in China for a variety of reasons, the number of confirmed cases is almost for sure just a small fraction of the actual amount of cases. Globally, you know, if you look at five or six cases in the United States, there's undoubtedly more than that. I mean, we're talking about a country of 300 plus million individuals, what, 350, maybe more. And, and with the travel out of China recently, I mean, into the United States, it's, it's undoubtedly higher than that. And I don't know. I'm, I'm not even going to pretend to give an educated guess. Is it double digits? Is it triple digits? I don't know. But what I do know is that we're most likely, statistically speaking, missing some cases. The CDC and other organizations cannot lock down every single case. And that is not only true for the United States, but every other country in the world that does business and has travel with China. So almost every country in the world. Some are going to do it better than others. Japan, probably the United States. South Korea, some of these more developed um, borderline, you know, surveillance uh, uh, societies that, that just have better, more comprehensive, maybe law enforcement or, or uh, databases and whatnot. Whereas a country like uh, uh, India might have a harder time or, or you know, I see uh, Ivory Coast had a potential confirmed case and I don't, I don't know if it will or not, but, you know, I... I don't know, I, and, and I'm not trying to be, you know, racist or anything like that towards some of these countries. It's just that, you know, and, and I'm not speaking about how America's the best at everything because, as I said, we're probably missing a lot of cases. But some of these countries could be missing every case that they're seeing right now. Every case, potentially, that has ended up in their country. And so you'll see this hyper-focus on confirmed cases, but don't be surprised if all of a sudden, you know, a week from now, again, given the incubation period, given how long it takes for people to maybe go to the hospital, given how long they may be um, sick, and given the fact that eventually we'll have more and more human-to-human transmission, and you'll see individuals like, hey, I, 
haven't been to China in my life. I live in San Francisco. I live in Los Angeles. I live in Memphis. I don't know, right? Never been there in their life. Maybe they had, you know, and I'm not trying to tell you guys don't chop at Chinese food places, but maybe they had Chinese food. Maybe they were on the subway, on a mass transit. Maybe they were walking down the street, ate at a restaurant, whatever. And there was some amount of human-to-human transmission. Those individuals, when they get sick with the, you know, a cough, sniffles, fever, not feeling well, um, their first thought is not going to be, I have the coronavirus. I mean, maybe, but, but they aren't going to take themselves seriously. You know, obviously, if you came straight out of Wuhan a week or two ago and you get sick, that might be your first thought. Now, it doesn't mean you'll go to the hospital. Maybe, maybe not. But if you have never been to China in your life, you know, maybe you don't have any close relationships with anybody that has been to China in the last year plus, why would you think that you have the coronavirus at this point in the game? Of course, the, the novel coronavirus that I'm talking about here. So that's, you know, that's kind of the phase that we're moving towards. And that's, that's concerning. That's why this is different than SARS, different than Ebola, right? We'll start off with SARS. How is it different than SARS? Well, the current trajectory is that in terms of cases, in terms of deaths, this is going to eclipse SARS pretty quickly now, right? This is nowhere near somehow just fizzling out, burning out or anything like that. No, we, we still have a far, far long, longer, even if this does ultimately get wrapped up, you know, in a month or two, um, which I don't think it will. Uh, but even if it does, it's still much, much worse. Okay. Plus you have this, you have this interesting, you know, very long incubation period with potentially some time where you can be asymptomatic, but also contagious, right? That was not the case for SARS. Now, the death rate for this novel coronavirus still up in the air. My guess is that it's higher than what it is right now, but I couldn't, I don't know, because part of it is just that, you know, again, as we get this huge deluge of new cases, you know, those new cases are going to have the lowest mortality rate for a while because, well, they just got sick. And sometimes this takes a while to progress to that point to being terminal. And so, you know, we're not going to have a good sense of it for for a while, for at least a a couple weeks to get a really good sense of of what this mortality rate actually is. And and I wouldn't be surprised if it's closer to SARS, you know, upwards of of 5%, closer to 10%. And of course, depending on the country and depending on the density of of infections in a given area. Uh, but, But again, the trajectory is far different than SARS, far more global, far more cases and deaths, and the characteristics of the disease are different. You know, I was even, you know, reading some different, you know, experts on this, experts on, on viruses and the DNA contained within and whatnot, and, and some hypothesizing that this is, you know, more of an RNA-type virus, meaning it is, you know, based on RNA versus DNA, and thus more prone to mutations. That, that could explain why this so quickly went from, you know, uh, um, potentially an animal or, or whatever you're thinking it is, a bioweapon, whatever. That's, I'm open to all those ideas. To human-to-human human transmission so quickly. And some evidence that already since then it's been mutating. Maybe not major mutations yet, but that's, that's dangerous. Mutations are dangerous for viruses because, you know, generally that, that lends itself to uh, increased severity of symptoms or at least increased infectivity. More more easily spread because the virus strains that are more easily spread are going to be the ones that are 
spread more, right? I mean, it's, it's microevolution and work, right? So that's, you know, that's my big talk about why it's different from SARS, why it's different from MERS, and then Ebola, which isn't more, you know, fresh in our minds. I don't think a whole lot of people paid attention to MERS, uh, Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome. It's a coronavirus in the same family as, as SARS, as well as, as this novel coronavirus. Ebola, entirely different. You know, a virus, yes, but largely spread by human bodily fluids. And the symptoms, this is where it's huge, the symptoms were vastly different than this. I mean, a, a potential symptom of this coronavirus can be things like vomiting and diarrhea. But diarrhea, as well as a ton of other crazy, super obvious symptoms, were the hallmark symptoms of Ebola. And furthermore, Ebola, largely, except for some stray cases, was relegated to like Western Africa, or at least you know the 2014 epidemic, making it much easier to isolate because travel to Western Africa was not just as it just was not as high, and it was easier to scale back or eliminate. Whereas with China, that just hasn't been the case. China's second largest economy in the world, largest population in the world. You can't just shut down travel to China. You can't just shut down. You know, this is a huge economy, huge system with with a thousand and one opportunities for individuals to leave the country, which was not really the case for Western Africa's is more often, you know, these poor villages and communities uh, and cities that were struck. And the, the, you know, the death rate in Ebola was, was much higher than SARS, much higher than this coronavirus. At least that's what it's looking like. But that didn't always, you know, help itself out. I mean, you had the obviousness of the symptoms. It was somewhat harder to spread. But you also had a relatively high death rate, meaning that, you know, it sounds morbid, but it kind of burned itself out. People would die too quickly to spread it. And so and, and so it was just a lot easier then. I mean, if you look at Ebola back in 2014, we had like, what, one or two cases here in the United States. And it was obvious cases. One was like a doctor that had been in, you know, Sierra, Le- Sierra Leone or, or one of those countries that was heavily hit by uh, the Ob- Ebola virus. Right? I think there might have been one other individual that had it, but they were simple, easy cases. Right, the, the the number of passengers coming to the United States from Western Africa was just so low. It was easy to just quarantine villages or cities. We're talking about an entire nation of one billion plus people with China here, that was quarantined way too late, and and to date, I mean, isn't quarantine nowhere close to quarantine. A ton of air traffic, sea traffic land traffic still going on. This is vastly different than Ebola. It's not as deadly. I'll say it again. Coronavirus is not a death sentence for the vast majority of individuals. But its death rate, from what we're seeing right now, this is important to understand, is much higher than the flu. There's a lot of evidence to suggest the common flu. Most most years' flus. Of course, some years historically have been really bad. But it's worse than the flu. Furthermore, it's likely going to hit the middle demographics, middle-aged, you know, 20s, 30s as well, teenagers, 40s, 50s, more so than the flu does in terms of severity and fatalities. You know, the flu, it, it mostly, you know, the flu, you know, classic pneumonia and it's bacterial and viral, 
varieties and a lot of those other infections right now, they, they primarily prey on the young, the old, and the immune compromised when it comes to requiring hospitalization or, or being terminal. Doesn't mean that, you know, we don't get the flu. People that are, you know, in my, you know, age range, 20s and whatnot. It just means that we don't usually go to the hospital or die from it unless we're immune compromised or have some other comorbidities. The evidence right now for the novel coronavirus is that it's far more severe than the flu for a lot of these demographics. And it's also spreading incredibly easily. We're looking at R naught number of two and a half to to over three. It could be even higher than that if if you buy into these ideas that this is mutating quickly, that it's potentially a bioweapon and it was designed for this. I mean, this gets out of hand pretty quickly here, right? This is so much different than than the flu, so much different than the, the SARS, the MERS, the Ebola outbreak. And and as I said yesterday, you know, the base case for this is not the base case. The best case scenario for this is not great either. A paralyzation of China's economy as this continues to spread for several weeks or even months of 2020. Let's say it's contained outside of China. And maybe some countries that nearby. Uh, Taiwan. Uh, Malaysia. Uh, Indonesia, Thailand, you know, Cambodia. Let's say those countries, it's, you know, spreads pretty significantly, but it's primarily just spread there. And it doesn't spread to, you know, Africa, India in large numbers, United States in large numbers, etc. Well, guess what? That, you know, that's the best case scenario. We're still talking about deaths and number of cases that will probably far exceed the SARS outbreak. And, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's almost disrespectful to talk economics when we're talking about deaths and whatnot. But economically speaking, we're still looking at a major slowdown in the Chinese economy, major slowdown in the global economy. And that's best case scenario. And it could get a whole lot worse than that. As always, I'd like to thank you, every single one of you, for tuning in to today's podcast. Let me know if you want more coronavirus coverage. You're probably going to get it out of the way. But as always, thank you from the bottom of my heart, and God bless.